Thank you for tuning back in to Lunar Cat's mental health check-in with Nina Lunetta. Our second episode is going to touch on attachment styles, and we're just gonna get we're gonna get right into it. Thanks for tuning back in. Thank you for tuning back in to Lunar Cat's mental health series with Nina Lunetta. Hey Nina. Hello. Thank you so much for having me back on again. We got a lot of really positive feedback from our first episode, and we're excited to dive into attachment styles today. Avoidant, anxious, and secure are like the main uh, types of attachment. You can also have disorganized attachment or a mixture of those as well. But just to be clear, there are so many different types of attachment styles, it would almost be impossible to cover all of them in one episode. Um, No, these are the main, um, these are the main attachment styles, um, but it's, it's more that they're not a comprehensive look at who we are rather a way of understanding how we show up in our relationships. And that, that includes romantic relationships, friendships, family relationships, et cetera. So what you're saying is attachment styles aren't meant to be used as cookie cutters. They're meant to help guide us in these like various relationships we have in our lives. Absolutely. I think understanding your attachment style and, and how it came to be can help you give you a modality to understand yourself and how you show up in relationships in a way that could improve your relationships. And I think it's also important to point out that there isn't an attachment style, like one that's better than the other necessarily, or one that's good or bad. Right, right. Sometimes I think people, you know, might realize that they're anxiously or avoidantly attached um, to certain people and not others, um, or they may show up that way in certain relationships, but not others. Uh, and they may sh- they sh- may have a secure attachment style in other relationships or in other situations. Um, so a lot of times, you know, we're not just all one thing. It may have a lot to do with the people we're in relationships with and how they show up, how they act. Um, so yeah, the the three main attachment styles are fairly self-explanatory, but they, you know, they encompass a wide range of complex behaviors and feelings. So avoidant attachment style tends to mean that you might avoid or run away from conflict or even direct communication at times, or if you're feeling stressed or insecure in that relationship. Um, Anxious attachment style might look slightly the opposite, where 
you, uh, in, if there's a conflict or a problem, you might actually almost harass someone until it's solved rather than, um, let it go unsolved because that's uncomfortable for you. And then secure attachment style. And I, I don't, I'm not sure if anyone can be perfectly securely attached, maybe in individual relationships that could be, um, you could have a secure attachment, but it just means that you are neither running away, consistently running away from problems or confrontation, but you're also not forcing uh, discussions or forcing um, someone to be ready to talk about something if they're not. And would you say these attachment styles tend to stem from what we experience as a child? That is kind of how attachment theory, uh, that's the idea of, of attachment theory. So if, you know, it's said that, you know, for example, if you, uh, didn't have certain needs met when you were young in your younger years as a child or adolescent, then it can lead to you having one of one of these attachment styles. Um, and usually it's based on what kind of attachments you had with often your parents or whoever raised you um, or other major players in your childhood life that were tending to your needs. If you had secure attachments with those people, your parents or whoever raised you, you're, you're more likely to have secure attachments later on as an adult. If you had anxious attachments, meaning I don't know if I'm going to get my needs met by my parents or not, depending on the day, um, or I don't know what version of my parent I am going to get, depending on the day, then you may show up more anxiously in relationships as an adult. And same thing with avoidant. Um, if you had parents who ignored or avoided confrontation or problems or pretended like they didn't exist, you may also do the same thing in relationships as well. So it, in that way, it is slightly Freudian in nature, right? Um, Freud is often critiqued for pointing everything back to our parents and our relationships with them. But he had a point. Uh, a lot of things in psychology do um, come from our younger years. And sometimes we may have to learn or unlearn things if we want to be different than our parents. I think that's really important to find to point out because sometimes it feels like the way these things are labeled as like good and bad like if you're anxious or avoidant or secure can make it almost feel impossible like navigating them or maybe trying to shift your perspective about it or shift things in your life you know, towards whatever you're trying to work towards. And it can feel really overbearing, at least for me, I think when I realized I had an, 
an anxious attachment style. Initially, I was like, something's wrong with me. Like, I'm never going to be in a relationship because, you know, of this or something. No, no, I definitely, I definitely don't think even if you have an anxious attachment or avoidant attachment or even disorganized or some combination, um, not only is this something we can work on, but, you know, that also doesn't mean we're incapable of having relationships, even if we don't, you know, um, these aren't, these aren't relationship death sentences by any means. They're just a way of describing how we may show up in relationships. And, and the purpose of that is to just identify it so that if we do want to change that, we know where to start. Yes. I think being able to name it or give it this sort of like source allows you to actually navigate it. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, I think I started off with a very anxious attachment style in my relationships. And then I kind of, I think I actually swung really hard in the other direction, trying to change that. um, Because I didn't exactly know what I was trying to change. I just knew, and and nor did I have much knowledge on attachment styles when I was trying to. So um, I kind of just was like, well, this isn't working, so I'm going to try the opposite. And then I kind of, I would now say I have a pretty avoidant attachment style. Um, so, you know, we're, we're not perfect beings that, you know, are going to spend our lives trying to become securely attached. First of all, there's probably no such perfectly attached person, um, or, or securely attached, I should say. Um, it's just something we can work on in terms of our actual behaviors that we want to change in the ways we show up in relationships. So for example, if you want to, force things less in relationships that might be like uh oh something specific to work on and trying to get specific about how to work on that or if you want to be more engaged and less avoidant okay what does that look like what would that look like in the day-to-day um these are just templates to say okay you know, I don't really like that I do this sometimes in relationships. What can I do? I think it's important to make these distinctions because ultimately, like the reoccurring thought I have in my head right now is that we need to understand this in order to honor our our authentic selves and, and how we show up. And I think sometimes when I think about having an anxious attachment style, it can feel like, um, no one understands how that feels, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, there's probably tons of people who know how that feels. Um, you know, I work with people every day who, um, 
have a lot of anxiety around relationships in general. So that is, you know, not uncommon. Same thing with avoidant attachment style, you know, um, like you said, we all have an attachment style. It's useful for us to figure out what it is if we want to make improvements in our own lives. Um, you know, people, come to me all the time because they want to improve their romantic relationship or their familial relationships or their friendships. And the, sometimes the hardest pill to swallow is realizing we actually can't improve things on the other people's side of the relationship, right? We, we can beg them and plead with them to do things the way we would like them to, or speak to us the way that we want them to, till we're blue in the face, but we have no control over that. And so then what we're left with is what we do have control over, which is simply how we show up in relationships. And that includes who we choose to maintain relationships with as well. Um, so if you've been, you know, asking someone in your life to treat you better for, consistently for a long time and giving them specific examples on how to do that. And they either can't or won't. Well, okay. Well, you can't control that, but you can control how much or if they are in your life. Um, if they continue to hurt you or demean you or, you know, some of those negative things. So with that being said, in some cases, we are actively choosing, we're not actively choosing our attachment style, but we have to be intentional about how we interact with other people. Yeah, exactly. I think attachment theory is just uh, one way of taking a look introspectively at ourselves and saying, okay, well, how can I show up the best or the way that I want to? as often as possible in the relationships I want to maintain. Um, You know, what, what things could I work on? Um, We, it's much easier to, you know, finger point and say, well, you need to do this or you always do this. And I hate that, or, you know, and this pisses me off. But at the end of the day, that person may or may not be willing or capable of changing those things but we are willing and capable of changing. We can be willing and capable of changing how we show up. And sometimes that means potentially ending relationships as well. So like not continuing to show up for someone who's not showing up for us and determining when that is, when is that point of, okay, this isn't getting better. I think I need to remove myself or limit my time with this person. Do you think it's also important to note that we need to be meeting our own needs before we maybe examine how someone else is meeting our needs? 100%. And that's, you know, one of those cliches that's actually true, I would say, in actual, you know, psychology. So, I think it's a balance, right? Um, where humans are very social creatures, you know, we, we always have been, we've always run in packs or, or tribes for lack of better words. 
Um, so we do need the support of others, um, for enjoyment, for ideas, for, um, just support or, you know, love. We need, we need all of those things. However, we also need to provide some of those things for ourselves as well. So it's all about balancing those two things, right? Providing some of our needs for ourselves and then also seeking out people who can provide those needs, sort of the, the rest of those needs, so to speak. So we should, we should start off by trying to provide a lot of our needs for ourselves but we shouldn't be trying to do it completely alone, if that makes sense. We should we should allow ourselves to lean on our trusted people or to or to depend on our trusted people to meet some of our needs, right? That might include romantic partners, that might include uh, close friendships, that might include family members, that might even include colleagues for some things, right? We depend on our colleagues all the time um, if we're working in a team. So we need to be able to depend some on others, but we also should primarily be depending on ourselves to meet our needs and then seeking the rest from, from our social circle. This makes me think about how in the beginning you said you feel you kind of started off with this anxious attachment style and you kind of swung hard in the other direction mm-hmm. with the avoidant. Uh, one thing I read about the avoidant kind of vibe is that sometimes it can show up as being like so independent that like, I don't need anyone else. Like I can do everything for myself. I think we've talked about this where we would like maybe go on first dates or something and almost kind of be rude to someone because we're like, what can you even do for me that I can't already do for myself? And I literally just kind of did that last night. So, yep, <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> so once again, you know, um, if you we want to look at it at like from that lens, I think you're absolutely right. If anxious uh, attachment is almost forcing people to meet our needs or be in our lives. Avoidant attachment is thinking we don't need anyone and almost ejecting a lot of people, like too many people probably from our lives or, or not seeing, you know, use for them Mm. because we're providing so much of our own needs, if that makes sense. Or if we're looking at it straight from the attachment theory, it's that, okay, um, so pretty much I swung from trying to get my romantic partners and my friends to meet all, to provide all of my needs to only wanting to provide my own needs and not almost not wanting to depend on anyone to provide for any of my needs because I was finding people unreliable and, and not dependable. But that also was just because I was in some cases relying on the wrong people. Mm. Mm. It makes me think of this quote of like, 
you weren't asking for too much. You just weren't asking the right person. Mm, absolutely. And that always like really sticks for me because I think it's easy, especially in dating to just get really overwhelmed by the amount of rejection or just getting bored by first dates. But I think you and I have said we kind of do ourselves a disservice when we don't just remain open. Um, and I feel that maybe over the last year I've approached things either like extremely closed off to the point where I'm just like not being myself or I'm so anxiously attached that I'm trying to do everything to make sure this other person like doesn't leave. So I feel like there's no in between. It's either like hard anxiety or like, I don't need anyone. Mm -hmm. And that's a perfect example of how we, how any of us can oscillate between the attachment styles, depending on the situation, right? We may not show up the same in every relationship or every situation. We may have some secure attachments. We may have some anxious attachments. We may have some avoidant attachments. Um, and the attach, you know, whatever your attachment style is, is just what you do more of the time or what you tend to naturally do in relationships. Um, and so that's why some people are um, disorganized or a mix or a you know a mixture because maybe that does look different every time for some people. Can you elaborate slightly on the disorganized one? Is that kind of like a combo of a few or? I would say disorganized is probably a way of saying they're oscillating between um, avoidant and anxious, which can be even sometimes even more confusing for people that they're in relationships with, because, you know, maybe one week they are all over them and want to be around them all 24 seven. And then the next week they, you know, are avoiding and, maybe even upset with them or, you know, so that like oscillation, Mm. um, I think is where we get into the disorganized. Um, so if, especially if you're oscillating between the attachment styles in the same relationship, right? So what you were describing was a little bit more like oscillating between them in different relationships, which is also very common. Um, And I think we all do that to a certain extent because the people we're having the relationships with are all different. Um, However, if we oscillate in attachment styles um, within the same relationships, we might have a disorganized uh, attachment style, meaning it's actually more based on the situation rather than the relationship. Mm. And maybe it's like feelings that come up in that particular situation. Is that immediate? I feel like my main trigger for everything is just fear of abandonment. And that's what like spins the anxious attachment like out of control. Mm -hmm. But it also spins the avoidant out of control because 
I would much rather just like be by myself sometimes, but I know that like deeply, that's not truly how I feel. Um, but sometimes it's just easier to pick that. Right. Right. And I think all of this, um, you know, any modality like attachment theory is just encouraging us to really listen to ourselves. You know, um, I'm kind of a believer that if we really sit with ourselves and listen to ourselves, we have all the answers already within us. Um, we know if we really think about things, a lot of times what the best course of action is. And that that goes with things like trusting your gut and your intuition sometimes, especially if you're getting the same feeling over and over and over again. Um, our decisions don't always have to be based on logic and like scientific evidence, right? Um, if someone makes us feel bad all the time, we don't need to prove that to ourselves to, you know, maybe leave them behind or, um, you know, spend less time with them. Right. And I think I've experienced that a lot is if I've chosen to leave people behind, I think I've often been met with a lot of, um, pushback from people, even people that don't know the other person. Right. Because there is, um, sort of a group think quality to a lot of people where maybe they care more about maintaining the group rather than maintaining the relationships with individuals in the group, which matters a little bit more to me. I care about the group as a whole, but I care more about my individual relationships with people within the group. And I think this kind of ties into like understanding your attachment style also helps you understand, you know, what your love languages are or, you know, your forms of communication. Um, We don't have to have perfectly secure. First of all, there's no such thing as a perfect, perfectly secure relationship. We don't have to have, you know, these perfect looking you know, relationships all the time. We're gonna, we're gonna mess up. We're gonna get into fights. We're gonna have feelings that are running high and causing us, you know, to maybe say or do things we wouldn't normally do. Like we're gonna, we're human beings who are both human, but also animal at once. You know, there's so many dichotomies within us. So yeah, I think these are just some structures that we can use as tools for self introspection or for introspection, right? And saying, okay, well, what do I think I could work on? What do I think I could do better in relationships? Um, you know, do I need to work on like not yelling or, you know, not using curse words in a fight or, you know, going for the low blow. Um, could I stay, I think we could all stay more solution focused in arguments and, and less on needing to be right, you know, things like that. Um, 
I always say needing to be right is uh, like, which I always ask my clients, which do you prefer being right or maintaining a positive relationship with this person? Um, and usually it's the second one. And if it's not, then maybe they don't even want to be in a relationship with that person. Um, so, you know, we have this, uh, egotistical want to be right and argue our point and defend ourselves a lot of the time when a lot of times that's actually not going to get us what we want, which is to, um, healthy relationship where we can discuss things that we don't agree on and two people needing to be right are never going to find solutions. They're never going to find compromises. They're never going to find middle ground because they're focusing on being right and not on the relationship. Do you think that if we internally have a lack of trust for ourselves to make decisions that that can dull your your gut feelings or your intuition yes um i think the feelings of intuition are still there but if we don't trust ourselves for whatever reason because maybe our some of our choices have led us astray in the past or, you know, um, we thought we found a really great human and then they turned out to be really not so great or maybe even purposefully decept- uh, purposefully deceiving. Um, that can shake our trust of ourselves and of how we choose people or how we vet people. And then all of a sudden we might think, oh my God, well, I thought this person was great and then they weren't. So I, maybe I can't trust, um, my initial interpretation of people. Maybe I can't trust, um, my radar for if a person is, you know, good or kind or going to treat me well. And then, and then we stop trusting ourselves in general. And and we do need to get that back. Because like I said, the answers are always within us, even if we've made some mistakes. And, and if we've been in relationships with people who were purposefully deceiving, especially, that's not our fault that we, that we chose to trust. And that was taken advantage of. Um, you know, and that we need to make sure that doesn't prevent us from trusting in the future. Even if we change how we trust or how we vet the people that we trust. I always have to remind myself that vulnerability is a gift and sharing that with people is a gift and it shouldn't be taken lightly. Absolutely. I love love what you said about it, how to show up with people, even if we change how we want to show up in potential romantic relationships or friendships that doesn't take away from still wanting to have that authentic connection. 
Right. Right. And, and, you know, us trusting wasn't the problem. It was the person who, you know, was in a way a predator of, of that and said, here's a person willing to trust me. I'm gonna use that in a way. And I don't care if it harms them, you know? And if someone, if that is someone's intent, it's going to be very, very hard to not see through that without giving it time. So I always tell people the best way to vet something like romantic partners is over time, right? Give yourself some time with this person, see them in different settings, see them by yourself a lot, see them with others a lot, you know, only time will slowly reveal who people really are because people can only fake who they are for, I would say, usually three to six months um, on average, but some people can do it slightly longer. For example, in long distance relationships, you might see it done longer because they don't have to do it as consistently or as often. So, um, so it could be up to like, I don't know, nine months to a year in different situations, but no one can fake who they are all day, every day for, for indefinitely. We, we actually know that, um, in psych. So if you're wondering, is this person good for me? Is this person who they say they are, you know, wait and see, and you will find out. But if you rush into things, that's when we see people accidentally falling for, you know, deceit and tomfoolery and, you know, let's be honest, uh, fuck boys and girls. Um, And, you know, because we didn't take the time to vet them, we think we asked them all the questions, but words only go so far. We need to make sure over time that someone's words are lining up with their actions. Mm. This is also a good reminder to hear all of this. It's very helpful. I think that only, I think in my thirties, did I really start to have these types of conversations that are very specific to how we show up? Like, I don't even know if the, the phrase, how do I show up was in my vocabulary in like my mid twenties. It was very much like, it was very much like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're more impulsive. Our brains aren't quite fully developed yet. Um, and not to mention, we may not have time to sit and ponder this in our early twenties because at least I didn't. And I don't think you did. We were, you know, in school working in school working, like, you know, trying to have a life. So, you know, when you're flying by the seat of your pants and rushing around and you don't have very much free time, Um, and, and in that way, 
uh, that's sometimes the critique of therapy and, and self-improvement, right? Is that it's sort of a privilege to have the time to work on these things, to do introspection, you know, because people who are, you know, working their butt off to make ends meet probably don't care about that, right? Because they've got to focus on the more innate needs of food, shelter, clothing, you know, providing for their families. And so, so not only is it not probably possible for everyone to do this, depending on their situation, um, or where they're at, or, you know, certainly those, you know, still in youth or under 26 to 28, right. Which is when we believe the brain becomes at its height maturation, you know, these conversations and introspection and self-improvement may not be not only something we're not focused on, but something we may not have time to focus on or energy to. Um, So it's also a privilege to be able to work on yourself in that way. Thank you for tuning in to our second episode of Lunar Cat's Mental Health Check-In with Nina Lunetta. Thank you, Nina, for continuing to share your wealth of knowledge with us and also for sharing your time. I can't wait to continue to dive into these topics with you. I also want to give a major shout out to Jaden Green. He is the owner of Stellar Motors LLC, who produces my podcast. He also just happens to be my awesome cousin. Thank you so much, Jaden, for the time you've spent on making my podcast a finished product. It means so much to me. I couldn't do it without you. I also want to thank my sister, Michaela. She creates all of the album artwork for the podcast, and I'm just so happy that this project is a family affair. And yes, Nina, you are 100% part of that family. So thank you to everyone who's tuned in again. Thanks for leaning in and stay cool.